Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. Okay, we, um, so we're very light today. Some people that just really, really couldn't be outside, understandable. So they'll be watching on the live stream. And, uh, you know, just keep the situation in prayer. You know, whenever there's stuff burning in the air, we don't know what, you know, oh, it's just the forest. How do we know that? You know what I'm saying? Anything could be brought up there in particulate matter and, you know, becomes a problem. So we'll keep that in prayer. And um, yeah, I just a few words on that. Uh, you know, we're starting to see, like we're talking about the environment, environmental issues. Jesus spoke about this prior to the last days, not necessarily what we're seeing today, but just the different cataclysmic events. And, you know, when we look at the book of Revelation, things get really intense but they sort of have to start somewhere, right? So I see that we're moving towards that, that time period. Um, you know, when Jesus speaks about the birth pangs, uh, things come more frequent with less pauses and more intensity each time it happens. And the way things have been going the last few years, I don't see many breaks, and it's affecting people's mental health as well as their physical health. So just keep it in prayer and um, look up for your redemption draws nigh. So... Like I said, I'm not saying that we're in times of revelation. I don't believe we are yet because a lot of these things are really brutal. But we're starting to see the lead up, if I could say that, to these type of events. Pastor Bing, you want to jump in on that? I think just the shadows. You know, we're seeing the shadows of things before the real thing comes. That's it. Um, Saving my breath right now. Thank you. So uh, basically, we so Pastor Paul's not here because he's sick. He's got a head cold, so he stayed home. He said he's going to be watching it. And you know, I just I just look at even the state of our country. The United States used to have like a real exceptionalism, and I just see a a lack of leadership. I mean, I was in a few professions where leadership was important. Without leadership, you run into big problems, and I just see things that are happening in the United States that are really, you didn't see this stuff several years ago. So, uh, you know, uh, there's so many solutions to these problems, and they're simple solutions. Me personally, I would say to Trudeau, who's the president or prime minister of Canada, listen, this has happened before. Do you need us to send some helicopters and help you put these things out? But if not, fix the problem because it's affecting Americans. Like, I just don't see our leaders anymore. You look at the press corps and when they ask questions of the executive branch, they talk about things that most Americans don't care about. Um, you know, everyone's so caught up in this globalism, which is really also spoken about in the end times, aggressive globalism, and the, the needs of the people at this level are just not being met. Uh, whether you're talking about the fentanyl crisis, whether you're talking about aggression from the CCP, whether you're talking about you know, inflation, energy independence. Um, what I personally believe in, and even the high crime rate in the cities, I've, there's people that I love that live in these cities or on the outskirts, and it's, it's a real problem. It's not just something that's made up. It's, the stats are there. So um, my, the way I see it is that it's a purposeful, hate to say it, uh, attenuating or dampening of the United States so that we can fit into this Again, it's right in Revelation, this global kind of network, because that's all they talk about. And it's going to give rise to this fascist who rises up and takes control of really the Western powers. Then you have the Eastern powers, so sort of a revised East versus West. So it's, listen, it's all falling into place. If, if people didn't believe in God and read the Bible and then are seeing what's happening in the last few years, it's, we're, it's the lead up to that. Would you like to add anything? Yeah, I think one of the things that's so refreshing to say come to this church or any Bible-believing church, uh, you know, listening to teachings of solid people. Um, there, God still has His remnant throughout the world, but like Pastor Joe says, you know, there's so 
The world is so depraved right now. It's crazy. Just like the scripture says, what's right is wrong and what's wrong is right. And we're living in that world. I think it's impacted all of us wherever we are, whether it's in a supermarket, in a, in a school, or in a business. So I just thank Jesus Christ for each of us here that we see or we see on a Sunday that God has chosen us and we've listened to Him. Because uh, you can go on a Drudge Report or any of these news internets and you can go down their list and almost everything they report is a sin. Almost everything is, is anti-Christ. You know, it's unbelievable. There's no like great news anymore. You just see craziness from every aspect of society. Okay, let's jump into our questions. So the first one is, what is the difference between biblical text and the Word? And this biblical text is more, so text is more, so the Word, it, sort of the structure of how we get books, Bibles, right? So the biblical text is how it's presented on pages in black and white. Um, but the Word is, is the Scripture, is God's Word, God's inspired Word. And when it was given, uh, it was, and over the years, it could have been vellum, it could have been, uh, actually, they used to, first temple period, uh, this is all archaeology, they would hammer silver and different metals, hammer it flat, and engrave the word in that. Uh, very interesting. I mean, that's invaluable when the archaeologists find something like that. So it's the word, and then it's how it's brought to text or reading material so that we can get it. So I would say it's the same thing, but it's basically um, how it goes from God to where it's presented and how we pass it on to each other. So the printing press, 15, circa 1500s, Gutenberg printing press, was able to just continue to duplicate it, magnify it, and send it out to the masses in their own language. Okay? And there's a few of these. I think one of the things that we had discussed looking at that question too was the different translations of uh, Bibles. You know, whether it's uh, the new King James Version that we use here or the NIV or any of the ones that go. So the only thing they can, they can water down sometimes God's Word and you lose the actual meaning of it. So that's why it's important that if you are reading the Bible, I mean, we, we recommend the new King James Version so we're all on literally the same page and the same words. But you have to be careful sometimes. Um, I don't know, if, like it, the message, right? That's a, a paraphrase. So you would lose a lot of the, you would get an idea of what's being said, but you would lose a lot of the actual details. So it depends on what you're doing. But the reason there are translations is different translations so people can understand it where they're coming from. Amen. Okay. Um, this one is, is there anything in the Bible that prohibits a woman from baptizing someone else? This, of course, in the case that there is no believing man present to do so. Actually, that's the first time in 20 years I've ever gotten that question. It's a really great question. Um, I would say there isn't anything to prevent that situation. As a matter of fact, the Apostle Paul, you know, Christianity was spreading through the Roman Empire. And, you know, there were at times um, groups of women who really led the charge of um, explaining to people, evangelizing, etc., about the good news of Jesus Christ. Uh, I know that, you know, in the Corinthian church, when things were going bad, it was Chloe's household, Chloe and her household, that contacted the Apostle Paul and said, "Listen, there's bad stuff going on here. You got to address it." And hence, First Corinthians was birthed. Um, Priscilla and Aquila, right? Was it Apollos, the gentleman that they were? He was, Apollos, a, yeah, yeah, he was a mighty preacher but he knew a lot of the things of John the Baptist, didn't know a lot of the things mm -hmm. of Christ. And Priscilla and Aquila were a powerful husband and wife team mm -hmm. that helped to disciple him and teach him you know, the, the rest of the story. Phoebe was a deaconess. Philip had four prophesying daughters. Wow, imagine that household. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so there, I don't see any, any situation where that couldn't take place, right? You could be... You know, a lot of these churches too, again, women were starting them up. 
and they were start-up churches, right? And they would ask the Apostle Paul for guidance, and they try to get believing men to come in and, and be a part of it and, and help to take a lead role. Uh, but they did a lot of really great things, and uh, they broke ground and laid great foundations for the early church. And we hear about a lot of these women uh, in the Scripture. So I would say there is nothing... Somebody can show me something otherwise, but I don't see... I they think it's a legitimate question. Yeah, there's nothing in the scriptures that uh, show it one way or the other. And I, you know, I just think in the world today with some of the um, anti-biblical nations that you could be uh, martyred under, you know, if there is a, a woman or a teenage guy or girl, I mean, that is led by the Spirit, they can baptize if they're following the, the mandates of, for baptism. So, yeah, that's uh, for anybody. So I'm going to read the next one, and then I'm going to open it up. I'll do a, we'll do a few questions, then open up for any questions from the audience, and then we'll go back to a few questions. So this one is it's a little lengthy. It says, The twelve apostles, who were Jewish, selected by Jesus, they followed the law faithfully. Today, most church pulpits preach on Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all good messages. Then Jesus selected Paul, a well-educated Jew, Sanhedrin member, to take the message to the Gentiles. He was not sent to Jerusalem, but spent three years in the desert. He returned with a message for all grace, unmerited faith. Question is, why are the Bible books from Romans on not preached often in the pulpits of all churches? It's the answer all of life's problems. So I would say, if you go to a church and they don't preach the entire counsel of God, happen to set up an appointment with one of the leaders and say, why don't you preach the entire counsel of God. So at this church, and most calori- calories, I'm, I must be hungry, hungry right now. Yeah. I should have. <laughs> uh, <laughs> calories, uh, basically, we teach, not, we teach the Old Testament, teach New Testament. Uh, there are some churches today that don't teach the Old Testament purposefully, and they have their doctrinal reasons for it, but they're not good reasons. Uh, we also, when we teach the New Testament, love the Gospels. I've taught Revelation. A lot of churches don't want to teach Revelation. Uh, we've taught the Epistles. You know, we've taught Paul's letters. So, you know, we we don't shy away from any book. Um, you know, the Psalms and Proverbs and Genesis. Brian is doing the uh, Genesis on on certain Wednesdays. That's been a great teaching. So, yeah, I would agree with this brother or sister, whoever wrote this, and say, why don't the churches teach the entire counsel of God? That's what it's there for. Yeah, that's uh, definitely something. I know that if anybody's watching us on the Internet that does not have a church to go to, it's very important to get the whole counsel of God. I remember when I first went to um, born-again churches when I came out of Roman Catholicism, and they did all topicals. It was just topical sermons, which were fine. You know, it got you into the Bible and you were hearing different things. But it wasn't until I went to Calvary and Old Bridge that I heard about going verse by verse through the Scriptures. So in my first year, um, under the teaching of verse by verse, I learned more in my first year than in 28 previous years of being in Catholicism. Just because we were getting God's Word. You know, so, I mean... You want to eat everything that God has given us in the scriptures. You don't want to just uh, take appetizers. You want the whole meal, you know, and that's Genesis to Revelation. Any, any questions? Concise questions that we can. Yes, Murray. Yeah, um, so I think, the see, this is always the challenge when we're up here, is to read the question the way the person intended it to mm-hmm. be, to be the question, and, you know, what. sometimes somebody will come to me afterwards and say, oh, I didn't mean it that way, I meant it this way. So that's the, the challenge when you read these cards, is what is the difference between the biblical text and the Word? So, yes, God's Word is brought eventually into the text so that we can have it at home and read it, um, print it, reprint it, give it to others. 
However, the Word in John 1, 1, Jesus was the Lagos, or he was known as the Word, right? And you quoted that very well. So um, sometimes when we look at words, <laughs> right, it, it, there's multiple layers of what did the person mean, right? But my opinion from reading this is when you compare the biblical text to the Word, they're speaking about um, like the Word of God to Moses. Moses writes it down, right? The Word of God to John, and John writes down Revelation, right? Uh, so it's God's Word to whoever He's directing it towards, how they write it down, and then how they pass it on to others. So, but yes, Jesus is also known as the Word or the Lagos, right? Because He's you know, he comes to earth, and amazing, Jesus is eating with the disciples, he's preaching to the crowds, my goodness, right? he is God the Son, and God is saying so much in those 33, 33 and a half years while he was on earth. Everything that Jesus said was the word of God, he was also the, the word or the logos, right? Andy? Well, yeah, um, you know, he's powerful, he's dynamic, but he's unknown. And you're right, he is mentioned in the scripture and even in Corinth. Mm -hmm. You know, anything, any problem a church could have, Corinth had it. And they were starting to say, you know, I'm of Paul, and I'm of Peter, I'm of Apollos, you know, and he's like, why the division? We're all of Christ. So, uh, you know, you could see, and this is the thing with charismatic, even figures today, how they, they get too big for their britches, not Apollos. He, was, he humbled himself, and I would say probably listened to this older couple, mm-hmm. husband and wife, to just say to him, listen, you've got a lot of it, but you've got to get the rest of it. And he, like you said, he overcomes. He's not prideful, he's humble. And then he must have been even more dynamic when he went out with the whole story. Pastor Vince? Yeah, that's such a great example with them. I, I think we're going to hit that possibly Wednesday in, in Acts chapter 18 with Apollos. And the thing that I love about it is here was a guy who was uh, popular in that area and they had just come off of a couple chapters earlier at Mars Hill where uh, they listened to Paul, but they never saw him again. In other words, they said, oh, we'll hear you again on this matter. But they never did. And then you see the humility, like you said, Pastor Joe and Apollo said he's willing to listen to an older couple. And there and that's what's so great. Um, I know that all of us, when I say all of us, the pastors will speak to you guys and girls or even sometimes kids. God's God will speak through them and give us an insight into the scripture that we might not have even been thinking. So whenever uh we're all learners, no matter what. Whether you're a teacher or not, you're a learner first. And if you're not humble to learn, you won't. You have to be open to always to the move of God's Spirit. Yeah. <laughs> Amen. So there's two separate ones here. Um, I kind of put them together. One is, talks about, you know, why does God allow things like mass shootings, uh, these horrible tragedies, why doesn't God intervene? Um, Then why does God save some people from death or deadly consequences and not others? Let me address the latter first, is that when I look at the uh, Hebrews chapter 11, the heroes of faith, God doesn't say this was the A team and this was the B team. Mm -hmm. We sometimes look at death as, you know, we're so used to, on this side, not being able to, you know, until we, we pass too to see what, what ha- what's going on on the other side. We only know what the scripture tells us. So uh, death is looked at in finality, but in the scripture it's actually not. 
when you look at the heroes of faith all the way up to verse 35, these people were victorious. Then there's a whole section of the heroes of faith, equally as wonderful as the first section. It said, others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Others had trials of mockings and scourgings, yes, of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were tempted, they were slain with the sword. They wandered around in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. All these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise well, on earth, God having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. So, you know, it, it's, it's a great question. Why are some people victorious and some people seem like their life is cut short, especially godly people, right? Um, you know, there's one, he's, he was Pakistani, he ended up getting cancer. What was his name? Uh, Nabish Qureshi. Qureshi. He was, I, and I, I look at his life and say, wow, this guy was powerful. He wrote a book, he witnessed, he was leading Muslims to Christ. Why did he die so, so young? These are hard questions. Um, was it something, it could have been genetic in, in the line, God didn't take it away, he allowed him to pass? I don't know. Uh, is it possible through his death, many people got saved? That happens at times. Uh, so, you know, when we look at, I would say that, Qureshi is a hero of faith. I put him right in this chapter. He died of cancer. Still a hero of faith. He did amazing things in his young life before life took him. So, you know, so you would ask, why does God split the two categories? Why doesn't he intervene? Remember, he did intervene many a times, right? Jesus raised Lazarus, was dead for four days in the tomb. But Lazarus died again. Otherwise, he'd be doing the talk show circuit today, right? Hey, I've been around mm -hmm. for 2,000 years. So, uh, you know, so some people were brought back, but only to pass again, right? Um, that whole sin being destroyed, yes, the believer goes to be with the Lord, but the whole redemption of their new bodies and never to die again is a later occurrence. So when we understand sort of the timeline, we can understand it better. One last thing for I pass it over to Pastor Vinny, is, is actually two questions a little different, but very similar, is when you look at even the, the horrible things, I would, I would add a lot of things there. I'd say mass shootings, you know, we're seeing two or three shootings every week in the United States. This didn't happen 70, 80 years ago. What's happening to the culture? It's unraveling. Um, why is there a war in Ukraine? Why are they suffering? Why when we left Afghanistan, is the Taliban terrorizing people? You know, why did the Holocaust happen? Why did the Armenian genocide happen? So we can go on and on and on. And the way I explain it to people is that this world is a sinking ship. And it's got a big hole in the hull. And it's taken on water. And there's, got, instead of God salvaging it, He wants to get as many people off the ship as possible to the Coast Guard, right? and to show them something that will be eternal, because that ship has sailed, it sank already. And that's this world. And people try to make this world their utopia, and they're, they, it's sad because they don't know the eternal promises. They don't know the things that God has promised. And that's our job, to share this with people, to get them off of this sinking ship. No, but I, I you know, there was the movie that, you know, there was a lot of movies about the Titanic, but it is true when you read some of the historical uh, events, how you know there was so much water coming in, mothers just put their babies to bed while the water was, and they, she laid down with them and they died. People were playing the violin, they were playing music, there wasn't enough boats. People were just kind of, some people didn't want to believe that it was sinking. That to me is this world. You know, you, 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 all you have to do is see what's going on. The Bible tells us the frequency and the intensity. Um, and it's our job as Christians to say to them, there's a better world. Come, take my hand. Take the life preserver. Let's go. You know, and this is what it says in the scripture, and it's coming. So I said a lot. Yeah. In John 21.20, it says, Then Peter, turning around, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved, loved following, who also had leaned on his breast at the supper, and said, Lord, who is the one who betrays you? 
Peter, seeing him, said to Jesus, But Lord, what about this man? And Jesus said to him, If I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Then this saying went out among the brethren that this disciple would not die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he would not die. If I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? And I know just in my own personal walk with the Lord, um, I'm concerned about everybody's salvation, but I can't, I'm not concerned with like if you're going to outlive me or you're going to die before me because that's not our call. That's up to Jesus when he takes us home, right? So we should be praying for one another. But it's if these guys like Peter who hung with Jesus three years were asking those kind of questions that we think of, it's okay, but we can find the answer in Scripture. It's really nothing that, you know, just follow him. We just need to follow Jesus individually. I'm going to ask the next question, then I'm going to open it up for questions again. Okay. The question is, what is the church's belief in giving tithe? Okay, we didn't write this, just so you know. It we're, going actually, to, we're going to pass the thing around, collection basket. It actually rarely comes up. <laughs> um, you know, there's Old Testament, New Testament, right? There's Malachi 3, um, where God speaks about the tithe, tithes and offerings, but he says it in the context of, you know, he, he says it in the context of that the people were forgetting about God. They were forgetting about the priesthoods. They were forgetting about what Jerusalem stood for. And they were being very greedy and selfish, taking care of their own selves and not donating or helping, you know, what God had set up in the community, right, of believers to keep the Jerusalem and the sacrificial system and all the priests and the Levites to keep that going. So the system was starting to, you could say, break down. And it was, um, it was really a picture of the selfishness of the people. You know, even the Apostle Paul says that he, he basically says that we should, you know, we should support the ministry of God. He said, but God loves a cheerful giver. Uh, that basically if you're, and I got, I'll quote it directly, that if you're not going, if you're going to give grudgingly, don't give at all. Um, but, you know, whether it's the Old Testament, New Testament, there is a difference now. Uh, but there's an electricity bill, right? There's a heating bill when things break down. So people know, common sense tells you that in any ministry, there needs to be a budget to fix things, to keep the lights on, to keep the doors open, uh, to fix things that break. Uh, so, you know, even though it's not a one-for-one comparison, it's also common sense. If nobody tithes to the church, then the church, and I've seen churches fold like that. The really cool thing about this church and a lot of Calvaries isn't the way I was taught was not to focus on money. If pe- people know, they, they have common sense. God will direct them. They'll tithe. Um, you know, even during COVID when we had the hand-to-hand baskets and people were, everybody was all worried about COVID, we just kind of went to boxes. And even though the pandemic is over, to quote a famous person, uh, we never went back to the to hand to hand to hand. The boxes are one, two, there's three. If you really want to tithe, you'll tithe. We don't have to bug you. We don't have to bring it up every, and we don't. We don't put a thermometer on the lawn. Mm-hmm. That's That turns people off. Um, common sense says the church has to run, and we actually do okay uh, for not ever talking about it except for this question. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, Yeah. Tithing, you know, is an Old Testament concept and um, you see it in the New Testament. You know, a lot of times it was the livestock or whatever. But in this day and age, like Pastor Joe said, it's common sense for the body of Christ to just keep the church running, you know, just for all the bills and things like that. But it shouldn't be a burden on anybody. It should be a joy. It should be a blessing. It's something that you pray about, depending on what God has blessed you with. Um, it's a form of worship. It's, uh, it, should be un- it should come from pure motives, a pure heart. And uh, there's also, you know, some people that financially can't do too much. You know what they do? They just give more of their time. They serve more. They they take care of the body of Christ some other way. So there's a lot of ways that you can give to a a local church. That's a great point. I love that you brought that up. I brought that up before is that, 
you know, that, you know, these churches that shake people down and want to know what your W-2s look like. I mean, just weird stuff. How much do you make? What's your profession? I just, I think that's just, I don't think that's the spirit of Christ. But um, there are those that literally, they don't have anything. And they volunteer, they serve, they help out. And that's a tithe because time can be more valuable than money, right? Uh, so I, I like all that. Um, 2 Corinthians 9, here's the scripture. The Apostle Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 9, 6, But I say, he who sows sparingly will, will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. You know, and even, you know, sometimes uh, there could be maybe something in the box and there's some pennies or nickels, you know, to somebody. What did Jesus say about the widow with two mites? Right? The disciples, his followers are watching and the widow puts in two mites, which is not worth anything. And he said, I tell you the truth, that she is given more than anybody else. And they were like, you can imagine the look, the expressions they must have had. He said, she gave out of her poverty while the others gave out of their abundance. Mm -hmm. That's pretty powerful. So we were taught actually very well by Pastor mm -hmm. Lloyd, you know, yeah. and Calvary Chapel. It's very good concepts there. I think until like Jesus never passed the basket. Or if he did, it had fish and loaves in it. He was always out giving, you know, any resources that he was given by his father. And Judas was pilfering the uh, the yeah. donations box, right? And he still managed to make things happen, right? <laughs> oh, oh man! And any feedback, follow up questions, Peggy? Yeah, you, you said a lot of things, and there's, that's a great point, and you said something, I should have wrote it down. Uh, hopefully it comes back to me. Um, yeah, and, you know, giving should be, there should be a sacrifice associated with it. You know, we, we learned a lot of really great things from a lot of people. Pastor Sam, who's, who's here, um, not here physically, but at our, at our church, he always says to me, you can't outgive God. And I, I found that out. I mean, you know, and, and sacrificial giving, um, that's really tests where you're at, you know, where, you know, God is leading you to even maybe bless somebody, but um, it could have an opportunity cost of, of you not getting something for yourself. It's kind of where the rubber hits the road. And when he talked about the woman with the two mites, when he said the other people, they were watching the temporal treasury and people putting you know, money in there. And he said they gave out of their abundance. So somebody who's a billionaire and gives a million dollars, people might say, wow, a million dollars. 
to them it's just could be a write-off it could be a drop in the buck could be nothing it could be their investments could make more in a month than that million dollars because money makes money so yeah there's a lot of different aspects to this and I've always found even outside of the church that when I'm generous with people um, I, I don't I don't run out where where I'm on the street and you know my wife and I have been have been convicted by the Lord to really bless certain people who are hurting and you know what we never regretted it we never regretted it so yeah there has to be a sacrifice that comes with it uh, sometimes a sacrifice in time sometimes a sacrifice in something I want to get and then that gets delayed because God moved me to and so this just there's a lot of layers to giving Go ahead. I was also thinking Peg what you were saying I was thinking some people limit themselves to that 10% when they could give 30%. You know what I mean? And so it is a matter of the heart. It's something you bring before the Lord. And he's, if he's blessed you, you have more you can give. But do they do that? You know, like that millionaire. He could have given $10 million, but he only gave $1 million. Yeah, and I mean, there was um, somebody who came into some money. And it was, it's interesting. And I usually say these conversations make me uncomfortable because I'm the senior pastor of the church you know, maybe ask somebody else. Uh, but somebody came to me and said, I want to, I want to tithe. And, uh, but there's this missionary and there's this organization and the person was explaining it to me. I said, wow, those sound like worthy causes. I said, you know, I said, pray about how you want to split it up. 33, 33, 33, or you can give them more. I, you know, my, I, I'm, I don't like to be, I'm not self-serving. So my attitude is, I just let people have their freedom. I explain, you know, as long as it's a good organization. If it's a weird organization like Hillsong, I'd say don't give them anything. But <laughs> they're in the paper all the time for bad reasons. Uh, but hey, wow, that missionary, that that's great, and that organization, and they help these people, and you know, I'm like, oh, that's pretty awesome. So I was excited with this person who started off saying, well, I want to give it all to Calvary Chapel, and and I said, and and she said, well, what about these two? I'm like, well, those two sound pretty awesome too. Pretty awesome too, right? Okay, let's. Um, so here's one, and it says, "Is there a particular sin that would pre- prevent a believer from getting into heaven?" So you know what? I didn't read that the first time. A believer, um, no, you know, because see, in Matthew twelve thirty-one through thirty-two, two. Jesus speaks about blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. And Bible scholars have debated what that means for a long time. Um, it, the Pharisees, you know, when the Holy Spirit was working through Jesus and through the crowd and people again saved, the Pharisees were always the wet blanket. And they really, Jesus said in Matthew 23, it was powerful, that chapter. He goes, you don't get into heaven and you prevent your disciples from getting into heaven. That's a strong statement. Wow, you're going to hell, and because of the, you're, so, you're such corrupt people, the way you're teaching your disciples, you're preventing them from getting into heaven too. That's like a, that's pretty powerful. So um, the Pharisees, Jesus would often quote, blasphemy against the Holy Spirit in reference to the Pharisees, because whenever the Holy Spirit was going to do a work through the Word and stir up people's hearts, they were the antagonists. So many Bible teachers believe that the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is not saying, um, I like God, I like Jesus, but I'm going to say a bad word about the Holy Spirit, but actually quenching or doing things to, to take what the Holy Spirit is doing and minimize it or nullify it so that people can't receive the Spirit of God. It's a little complex. Um, you know, even when Jesus did a miracle in one particular scripture, they said he does those works through Beelzebub or, or Satan or one of the demons when Jesus was doing it through the power of the Holy Spirit, right? They worked in concert. Um, so going back to the question, Pharisees weren't believers. So when this person asked that, what would prevent a believer? What sin would prevent a believer from getting into heaven? I would say none. Now, I'm not suggesting anybody go out and test it out. <laughs> I'm just saying that we, we all mess up. And some believers, there's not an obvious sin, but maybe they're just full of pride and self-righteousness. Maybe they turn people off towards Christ. And maybe they just, this, maybe that's what, the way they were taught. They really love the Lord, but they don't really do a good job of bringing people closer to God. So that's a sin. 
And then other believers can struggle with addictions. Other believers can struggle with sexual sins. Um, you know, but you know, Jesus died for all of our sins. And again, this isn't for me to say, well, go ahead and do what you want, because that's called antinomianism or libertinism. Uh, but you know, Jesus, that's why his sacrifice was all sufficient. Right? He only had to do it once, Hebrews tells us. So, I didn't see the believer part the first time. Yeah, right. Too I don't think we did, no. So, if you're a believer, just uh, if you're a believer, you can't commit the unpardonable sin. You have to reject Jesus Christ. That's the only unpardonable sin. Right, but they weren't believers. So when you talk about the flood of Noah, they actually mocked Noah. And Noah tried to present an alternative to the world that people were living in. It was wicked. Same thing with Sodom and Gomorrah. Um, can't say Lot and his family were great examples, but they were, out of everybody in that place, they were the ones that God saved because he said he wouldn't destroy the righteous with the wicked. And they had their flaws. Noah had his flaws too, mm -hmm. right? Um, you, you see, you know, as soon as he gets off the boat, uh, some weird situation with him and one of his sons, and he got, he got drunk. And, you know, so nobody's perfect, but the people who were destroyed in the flood were not believers. Um, and they rejected, I would say that they committed the sin of uh, blaspheming against the Holy Spirit because no doubt they were preached to. The Bible tells us that Noah preached to them, and they did not receive it. So when the door is closed, or God closed the door, that was it. Um, you know, it's a confirmation. I, in a couple of weeks, when I teach on Sunday, I'm going to teach about the days of Noah. Huh. So you had Noah, who was teaching. He was alive for 120, or he was building the ark for 120 years, and then he had Methuselah, who lived almost a thousand years, who I'm related to. So he, uh, I'm only kidding, but he lived almost a thousand years. And his name means uh, when he dies, it will come. So what would come would be the judgment of God. So people who were living hundreds of years, every time they saw Methuselah or even Enoch, who was taken up into heaven, they had warnings from God. But there were uh, possibly billions of people on the earth at that time. And a lot of them were walking by Noah as he was building the ark. As he was dragging, as he was cutting down a tree and pulling the lumber to the area he was building the ark. And as the ark was built, the door was open and anybody could have came. They could have joined Noah. But like you said, Pastor Joe, they were criticizing, mocking him. And once God shut that door, and like you said, Peg, those were all people that were lost, unfortunately, because they never came to accept Christ. Salvation was in the ark. Absolutely. And I believe, based on everything I'm studying, I believe we're in the days of Noah, and I'll bring out some more reasons in a couple of weeks. Any, what, Andy? Absolutely, Andy, and give a little teaser to my teaching is that hey, they're really pushing you to tell what you're going to say, say. on Sunday. They're really pushing you. <laughs> but the cool thing is that you know you had the uh, door of the ark open, and Jesus is the door. So the only way you can get to heaven is through Christ. The only way you could get to salvation in Noah's day was to enter through the door, and there was only one door on the ark. Even the animals had to come through that main door. All right. For the sake of Pastor Vinny's integrity for his teaching, no more questions about Noah. I'm just kidding. Actually, I don't think I have to come now. I think I covered it all. <laughs>
It's all, it's all great object lessons. Even Noah or Jonah being thrown overboard to save the crew. Yeah. Somebody had to die to save the people on the boat. Um, I don't know if I said this in the beginning, so um, before we pray, I'm just going to, well, just, do, yeah, and, but, all right. So the, the, did I talk about, oh, all right, let me just say this again. So with the smoke, the smoke thing, I hope it gets better tomorrow. If it gets worse, remember, if you're in your car and you have a cabin filter and you turn on the recirculating uh, vent, it will process the air in the cabin or in the, you know, keep your windows closed in the car. It'll process it through those cabin filters and help to take out that particulate matter. Is it going to do a perfect job? Probably not, but I have a fusion and I was driving here through all the smoke and I didn't smell anything. So it really does work. Um, also, the N95s, um, I, was, I went to walk my dogs and put the N95. I probably wear my mask now with this than with COVID, but mm -hmm. uh, walk on my dogs and outside where I live, there's a lot of smoke and it really, and again, I'm not saying test it. I'm not saying, you know, if you have a, a medical condition, don't play games with it. But I am saying that if you have to go out, there are some things that you can do. There are also uh, certain type of filters that are in your homes that they, they use UV uh, light and different things to and then, you know, they have the, the filter medium, filtration medium that will take some of that out of the air. So, again, if it's something that, you know, you just keep, keep yourself protected. We don't know what's in the, in the smoke. We don't know what's in the air. Um, that's one of the things we'll pray about. But, you know, I just want to see you guys as protected as you can be. Sound good? I also, just with what you're saying, Pastor Joe, I called our air conditioning guy and... Um, some of the stuff I read, and I'm sure most people are doing, but stay inside, um, keeping doors, windows, fireplaces shut. And it's also recommended, just like you were saying with your uh, car, Pastor Joe, is that you run the air conditioning unit on a recirculation setting if you need to use the air conditioner inside. So those are just some more tips. Yeah, and there's, a very, there's low, low flow or low obstruction. I, I use them for my air conditioning units um, but I popped that one out and I put a more restrictive one in it has more of a, a cloth cotton so it catches more particulates mm -hmm. so if you're if you're in your house and you're running your heat or your AC and this doesn't stop try to get one of those 3M and there's a lot of different companies you can see you can't really see through it as well as some of the other ones because you want to catch those particulates as it circulates the air through your house See, you, get, you don't get just spiritual advice here. We, we help you with your HVAC systems. <laughs> and, but, but counsel with a professional. Listen to us loosely, but counsel with a professional primarily. A little disclaimer there. So um, I was thinking, Pastor Joe, with the Q&A, if there's somebody out there who said, well, you know, there seems to be many religions, many philosophies. Why did Jesus say that he's the way, the truth, and the life? And that no man can come to the Father but by Him. But by Him. That's a loaded question. Well, when you look at the Old Testament, right? Um, Romans five says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So, God doesn't really have a problem. We have a problem. How do we get to be with Him if our sin is preventing us uh, from getting to Him? Because we've all fallen short of the glory of God. Do we really want heaven to look like what's going here on earth in the United States where crime and sin and lawlessness are taking over? God's not going to allow that. So there had to be a, a solution to the problem, the sin problem. So if you look at the Old Testament pre-Christ, there was a system that, um, that sacrifices had to be made, innocent, the innocent life for the guilty life, right? Uh, when Christ came, John the Baptist said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So he embodied all the Old Testament sacrifices, but as Hebrews tells us, he did it perfectly. He only had to die once, and it was a sin for all mankind, past, present, and future. So, if you're watching at home, uh, and you are interested in following Christ, because he is the only way, there can only be one way to do this, for our sins to be forgiven, I would just say repeat a prayer after me and it doesn't have to be exactly the way I say it because it's really a reflection of your heart. 
your emotion, your will, and your intellect, right? Make up your heart, so to speak, um, and who you are. And basically just say something like, Dear Jesus, I know that I am a sinner in need of a Savior. I know that you went to the cross to die for my sins. I want to repent or turn from my self-directed life to believe on you and to be saved. I look forward to you filling filling me with your Holy Spirit and walking with you all the days of this life and into eternity. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you said said that type of prayer in some form or another, uh, contact us, contact at cccrossfields.org or you can call the phone number uh, 732-521-0382 and we'll send you a free Bible and materials, no strings attached. Love to have you here. Would love to have you on the live stream as well. And, um, you know, as we talked about the biblical text and the Word, read the Word, start with the Gospels, and you'll see God's plan of salvation and eternity for you. All right? Amen. every generation from Calvary Chapel Crossroads. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays we have children's church for all ages in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to www.cccrossfields.org where you can also watch or listen to previous messages. If you have any questions or have a prayer request, please email us at contact at cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless.